Hey everyone, this is Michael and I'm here with Andre, and on today's episode of Radically Normal, we'll be talking about Exodus chapters 11 through 13, where we'll cover the final plague, the Passover, and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. We hope you enjoy this discussion. Hey everyone, this is Andre. Excited to talk to you guys today and, and continue on this journey through uh, Exodus uh, chapters 11 through 13 today. We need to go over some good stuff, but before we do that, I actually had something funny i wanted to share i'm a little worried um, i like synthesized a few ideas together and made it into like this one kind of story we can i have no idea what is coming just yeah so you guys I'm, know I'm, I'm pulling it up because I, michael's been telling me to come up with an intro and i i usually just like come up with one on the spot um and just say something spontaneous or just give an update on life but um yeah okay hold on bear with me okay so what i'm doing is okay so i'm ready so uh first of all a plug is you guys should follow Radically Normal Pod uh, on Instagram and check us out, subscribe, you know, give us that five star on, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that. But we actually haven't posted a picture of like either one of us like in a while, like whereas like if you like go down and like look, you can like see Michael and I and like when we used to like do these like videos and all that, like you'll like see that I had have like typically like longer hair. Michael has like usually like short and like really like nice and well kept and all that. Forever. But <laughs> A couple months ago, and we were talking about like wedding stuff today, so this is why this came up to my mind. But a couple months ago, um, Michael's fiance Abigail was like, um, kind of like, she was like frustrated that Michael wanted his their wedding to be not his wedding, their wedding to uh, her wedding. Hey, to be, uh, it's good. To, it's good to hear his wedding just once because I hear that it's her wedding one trillion times a day. Uh, so I, this is a good switch. <laughs> I, I corrected myself. Anyway. So she was a little frustrated that he wanted to be really formal, specifically when it came to his hair. And so I got a haircut. This is like the second idea. I got a haircut recently and, you know, just keep that in mind. But I was going to tell Michael that because Abby doesn't listen to the podcast, he should tell her that he's planning on growing his hair out into like a mullet or something for the wedding and like convince her that he's like doing it so that the wedding isn't like too formal or anything. And then like freak her out. I thought it was kind of funny. I don't know why I thought of it. Maybe it's not that funny, but I said it. So there, there we go. Dude, I honestly think that if I said I'm growing my hair out <laughs> to to a mullet, she would be a little bit hopeful because she would think, dang, at least he wants his hair to be long. I'll just convince him to drop the mullet piece because she always wants my hair long. And I'm just like, look, I want to look. I, I made this one comment that, that annoyed her, which was uh, I want to look professional at the wedding. I just think that looking professional in general is, is, is a decent idea in life and so she didn't appreciate that comment but i will say in a tux with well-groomed hair i think that the people do look professional at the wedding that's just my potentially hot take so, so andre just i'll just put you on the, the spot story. what's the moral of the story the moral of the story is to follow at radical normal pod on instagram i'm just wanting to you know yeah we should have a lot on there and it, hey if you are good at graphic design hit us up because we could always use a, a little bit of help um hopefully we have more on the on the instagram also hopefully at this point in the season it's on there but when we're releasing interviews this season i'm hoping in the show notes to have a list of all the past interviews so if you want to go back and listen to other interviews we've had back to season one you can just see what episode number that is what guest that is and potentially even like what we talked about with that guest so hopefully that's in the show notes when we do interviews as well so hopefully 
that's good. And then, yeah, follow the Instagram. And like Andre said, subscribe. And then I had a friend in law school ask me if we do any videos, which we only do that. We, we did the Instagram series, and then we have the YouTube for the, the interview videos. So we do have other stuff, I guess, to look at. But definitely the podcast is the, is the main thing. I do wish this could be a full-time job. We'd have a lot of oppor- like things to explore, but right now it's not. So Yeah, and, you know, uh, we may as well, you know, skip the life updates and jump into uh, our journey through this book, through the book of Exodus. We do have quite a bit uh, to talk about today. Um, so how about we jump right in? That's good. Let me just, you care if I give like a super quick summary? Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's go over maybe um, what we did last week, maybe before that, and then and then jump right in. Yeah, so, okay, so to go back two weeks, I guess, in chapters five and six, that's when Moses first went to Pharaoh. And then uh, just to kind of get right into seven through ten, I guess, because that's still a lot of chapters, we covered the first nine plagues. So first, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they had the whole bit with the staff uh, turning into the serpent, and then Aaron's staff swallowed the the ones of Egypt. Anyway, so then we had the nine plagues. And so just to recap, the final plague that we talked about last week, that ninth plague or that ninth wonder of God, which is language we see in the chapters today, was the darkness over the land for three days, imaged in Jesus' Jesus' crucifixion. We had the three hours of darkness there. Talked about that last week and in in the Mark episodes. And then lastly, just one thing to highlight, because it's still relevant in this episode, Verses 14 through 16, Andre read it out loud last time of chapter 9, because God says he's going to send the plagues so that they might know that there's no one like him in all the earth. He has raised up Pharaoh to show his power so that God's name would be proclaimed in all the earth. So why is God doing this? For his glory and the salvation and good of his people. So that's where we end up today, where we jump into chapter 11, verse 1, talking about the final plague. So Andre, where do we kick it off this week? Yeah, so this week we're going to kick off first with a, uh, a little bit on, on the final plague, uh, and we're going to see why that's going to be so uh, detrimental to, uh, to Pharaoh and really um, see how it, um, it, it points to, uh, you know, God's deliverance of his people, right? And it's going to, to show basically how set apart they are and why, uh, God's power is so much greater than anything that uh, Pharaoh can 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 conjure up uh, during these times, and, and why you know God is to be uh, respected, and, and you know His words are to be to be followed. Um, we've seen a little bit of how uh, you know Pharaoh has uh, through all these plagues tried to um, you know plead that these plagues be taken away, and then he goes back on his word um, against the Lord, and you know against the Lord spoke uh, people, Moses and Aaron. And we've seen how this has kind of led to this final plague. And what we're going to see happen is that, you know, um, the Lord's going to reveal that this last plague is that, you know, the firstborns um, are going to die. Um, And we're going to kind of see how that unravels. Um, And I'm not really sure. Last week when uh, you were talking about that pattern, I'm not sure if if uh, the final play fits into that pattern of the, no, you know, really. the groups of three with uh, the, the three, uh, the warnings and all that. But what we do see is um, we see more of like the Lord saying, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, and we know, and we, and another thing to, to, you know, keep in mind as well as we go through this is that we see another instance of um, Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Uh, we know that 
the Lord already knows what Pharaoh's response is going to be. And we see another example of the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. Let's go ahead and jump in um, and see, you know, what jumps out. Um, chapter 11 is pretty short, uh, but there's some good yeah. stuff in there. Yeah. I, I mean, when I first taught a Bible study through Exodus, I almost grouped 11 with the previous chapters. But if you don't do 12, it doesn't really make much sense because 11 is just giving you a little foreshadowing, a threatening of what's coming in chapter 12. So, yeah. So the first thing that's interesting to me is that in verses 2 and 3, um, basically Israel is receiving these goods from Egypt. They're getting um, silver and gold jewelry. And so the people of Israel have favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And remember, as Andre pointed out last week, like literally all the, all the servants of Pharaoh are going to him and like, bro, you have got to get these people out of here. And Pharaoh's just like, nah, I'm good. We're going to, we're going to keep them. So, so they're getting, they're getting favor and they're taking these goods out of Egypt, which by the way, almost every scholar I've read thinks that the materials they get out of Egypt is the things that they construct the tabernacle with later, because what else would they be constructing it with? So what they build the golden calf with, and then what they more properly, obviously construct the tabernacle with is the stuff they're bringing out of Egypt in these first, uh, first few verses, uh, here. So that's the first thing I would just note as we get into, into the chapter. And I thought that was, it was really cool to see, you know, thinking of all three chapters we're going to go over like kind of together and like also beyond kind of how Michael was making that, that connection there. But, you know, thinking about how it says that, you know, the board's going to give them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. That's why they're going to give them their gold and silver and all of these things. And it's interesting because in chapter 12 or 13, uh, it says that, you know, when this happens and they give them all their gold and silver, it's literally as if they were plundered. Right. So, Right now, it sounds it sounds pretty pretty nice that you know they have favor. They're just giving them some gold, but like no, they're actually taking a bunch of riches. And as Michael pointed out, potentially you know enough gold and silver to to build the tabernacle. And then you know moving forward, if you have uh, nothing else there, the next thing that I thought was super interesting is um, when Moses calls out, you know, thus says the Lord that you know he is going to go and kill every firstborn in the land of Egypt. Um, and then looking at towards the end of verse five, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. So what really stuck out to me there was that, you know, this is like primarily, as Michael had pointed out, you know, to show um, how set apart, you know, the Lord is and how set apart his people are going to be. And, you know, to highlight, you know, his deliverance upon them. But then, you know, also we see, you know, this like, this like underlying tone of, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, who is, you know, who's being regarded in this like Egyptian camp and like this other camp that if they're not in the camp of, God, of the Lord, you know, they're, they're going to fall under these same consequences, right? So it, it's like, not like a, you can kind of be halfway in this one or halfway in the other one. If you're a slave, you might be spared, you know, even if you're like this cow who has no way of not letting, um, <laughs> the Hebrew people go in into the wilderness and, you know, worship the Lord. It doesn't like, it doesn't matter to God, right? Like that's like completely irrelevant. You're either in his camp or you're not in his camp. And I think that that, you know, is something that I, that really stuck out to me. And I think that that's like the, the tone that we're going to continue to see, you know, throughout the rest of this book, but also, you know, looking into the new Testament as well. So that really stuck out to me. Oh, uh, new Testament. This is great. Andre knows we just spent the whole summer in revelation. And I would say that I would argue that the key theme of the book of revelation is allegiance to Jesus. And as Andre and I saw this summer, there's no third option in revelation. You're either of the beast or you're sealed 
in Christ. And so, yeah, there's only two options. And so, yeah, that is super, that is a great point. And so I just want to highlight one more thing. And then uh, if you don't mind, we could hop into chapter 12. Is that good? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So in chapter, so in chapter three, verse seven, God says to Moses, so this is right after the burning bush incident. God says to Moses, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmaster. So God has heard the cry of his people. But now look at verse six of chapter 11. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. So now who is in torment? The whole thing is reversed. The people of Israel were crying out in their distress. And now due to God's sovereign salvation and uh, plan for Israel, Egypt and those who don't give their allegiance to Yahweh are the ones crying out. And so when we get into chapter 12, I just want to say one quote before I hand it off to Andre. Some people look at chapters 12 and 13, besides the 10th plague, all the stuff with the feasts, and they're like, gosh, this stuff is just so boring. I love this quote from, from Peter Enns in his commentary on Exodus. He says, this is much more than an aside or an intrusion of legal ritualistic mumbo jumbo. It is the institution of a powerful everlasting observance whereby God's love for his people Israel will be remembered, indeed reenacted until the end of time. End quote. So this is important. This isn't as he says mumbo jumbo. It's an everlasting observance where we recall God's love for us. So let's get into chapter 12. That's really good. And you know one word um, really stuck out to me there which was, which was remember. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of like synthesizing these two chapters, kind of as we jump into 12 in in verse nine of, of chapter 11, when, you know, the Lord says um, that Pharaoh will not listen to him, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And then going into 12, we begin to see these detailed instructions of really what's going to happen, but also how um, God's people will be spared. And before we get into like all this discussion of, of the lamb that they're going to have to kill um, for each house and like kind of the characteristics. And um, I'm sure that Michael is going to give a great explanation of how this all points to Jesus. Before we get into that, I think that that's the goal. But, but, but just one quick point before I let you get to that um, is just how important it is that, um, you know, that this had happened and how, uh, you know, continuing into, into chapter 12, we see that, there's this instruction that, you know, they are to remember that this happened and how the Lord delivered them. And that's supposed to be somewhat of like this, this, you know, remembrance um, in this feast, but then like also kind of in an observance, but then also, um, you know, an underlying, you know, reason for why they're, you know, serving the Lord and, uh, you know, really in this, uh, you know, feeling of thanks for, for the fact that, you know, the Lord provided a way for them to be delivered from this, um, from their firstborns being killed. And then I'll let you get into, into any point you might first, I'll let you get first dibs on, on this, on this great point here. So I don't want to, so I feel like this is kind of, this isn't, a, this, this is really not a great point. This is more of an aside, but like, a lot of people think of Leviticus or even the stuff that's like the law or the instructions in the the book of Exodus as like these like boring things that they can't get anything out of. I would and I've heard other people say this too, so it's not it's not like a new point, but I would say the more you try to skim over or just read and try to genuinely under or like generally understand what is what is being said in a book like Leviticus right here, the more boring it actually is. The deeper you dive into every little detail, is the is the path to the most like praise for God and love for his word and the most you can potentially get out of it. So, 
uh, just a couple points that I'd just say, like right here, like verse 5 of chapter 12, the lambs to be without blemish. So their sacrifice is without blemish. Well, that's how in Ephesians 5, it says that Jesus intended for his church to be holy and without blemish. And so this sacrifice to God is to be holy and without blemish. So is Jesus's offering. There's no blemish in Jesus's own sacrifice. And so not, so we don't have time to be diving into every little detail. I would say Leviticus 23 is another helpful passage to sum up the feasts. I went and found my Nehemiah scripture journal because I wanted to refer back to the first season, which we hadn't done in a while. And in Nehemiah chapter eight, they celebrate the feast of booths. So that was to celebrate God's gift of provision in the wilderness. Here we have the Passover, which celebrates the gift of Exodus and the Passover lamb. And then the other three, the other obligatory feast for all Jewish males to go to was Pentecost to celebrate the gift of law at Mount Sinai. So those were three obligatory meals. And then just a point to Jesus, the feast is pointing to the Lord's Supper. The, the, the last supper of Jesus and the disciples is a Passover meal. Nobody really debates that. And then the Lord's Supper today, when we t- partake in the Lord's Supper, we're, this is a Passover meal because just like Andre said, what is, Andre, what's the one word that stood out to you? Remember? Are you talking about what I said? Or? Yeah, remember. Exactly. Okay. In the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to remember back Every time you gather and do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. So we're to remember Jesus's body and his blood shed. And then we're supposed to also look ahead to what God has promised. So the marriage supper of the lamb. So when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we are participating in this everlasting feast. So that would be my point that uh, I'm thankful that Andre gave me dibs for. You have anything else there, brother? What else do you see in this in this chapter? Uh, no, just one thing that I thought was you know super interesting that I think that you know, potentially might, might get missed if we don't say it now, but just thinking of, of this lamb and, you know, how we can connect it um, to Jesus, you know, the individual lambs and their blood was to be, you know, put over the, 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 the doors. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, so we see how like the, the blood of this lamb is going to spare them. It's going to save them on this night. And then we also see like looking like way forward into like verse, like 45, 46 region, uh, 46, um, it talks about in the in the latter half um, where they're going to like eat its flesh and they're not going to break any of its bones. Um, and I thought that like was also reminded me of, you know, how Jesus' bones weren't broken. And so you see these like parallels, um, which I think is super awesome. Just wanted to throw that in there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the one thing I would have, would have added to all that. Yeah, that's super good. And then, oh, I guess I didn't mention this, but in the in chapter 12, we also see the feast of the unleavened bread because they had to go out of Egypt at such a quick pace or in such a in such haste that the the leaven like the the bread didn't have time uh to rise. And just like like we've been saying, it's a thing of remembrance because the people just like today were to recall what God has done, which in which gives us more hope about the future and what he's going to do uh, then. So like for me, like I love reading church history not just the Bible, but I love seeing like, what did God do in the Reformation? What did God do in Augustine's life? What about what happened in the Middle Ages that nobody talks about nowadays? Like the stuff that God's done in the church's history in the last 2000 years is encouraging to us, just like this sort of stuff is. And then so we get into the into the 10th plague. So Andre kind of skipped to the institution of the Passover verses 45 and 46. But let's just cover real quick. What so what happens in this 10th plague exactly? Do you just want to sum it up for us first? 
Yeah, so kind of what we've kind of what we've been talk, talking about is that you know the Lord was going to go throughout all of Egypt, <clears throat> and you know essentially the firstborn, uh, kind of how we said in in chapter eleven, doesn't matter if it's from you know Pharaoh's firstborn to the cow's firstborn, all going to going to die. Uh, you know we know that this same judgment would have applied to any of the uh, Hebrew people who. Yes. Basically, didn't follow these instructions that uh, the Lord had left to Moses. Um, but we know that the Lord did provide a a path of deliverance, a path to to be spared from this uh, from this plague, from this judgment, which was that they were to kill um, uh, a young lamb, as 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 we had been talking about. Uh, you know, one that was you know white and blameless, and and all these all these great uh, analogies. And then there were two. Um, take it, kill it in a certain way, prepare it in a certain way, eat it in a certain way, um, as to act as an offering to the Lord, and then take uh, some of its blood and, you know, wipe it over uh, their doors. And then this was going to be a symbol um, of, you know, their observance of, of um, you know, the sacrifice to the Lord. Um, and that was going to, to basically indicate that, um the Lord would pass over their houses and not kill their firstborn. Oh, that's so good. And I like, it's kind of interesting that we're at this part because we had an interview. I don't remember what episode number it is with Trillia Newbell on her study. Uh, I think it's called a great cloud of witnesses or a cloud of witnesses. It's on Hebrews 11, which is known as the hall of faith. And in Hebrews 11, verse 28, uh, the author of Hebrews, which we'll save who wrote that for another episode. <laughs> Uh, it says, by faith, he, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So the author of Hebrews considers the uh, this sprinkling of the blood to be by Moses and then by extension, the people of Israel, an act of faith. So they're trusting God to provide a sacrifice, to provide atonement. That's very similar or that's synonymous with how we are today. We've tr- we trust in the blood of Jesus that's covered us, that God, instead of pouring out wrath on deserving people, us or Israel, has uh, instead seen that we're covered by Jesus's blood. In him, we have redemption through his blood, Ephesians 1, 7 uh, says. And then so in verse in chapter 12, uh, verses 33 uh, and forward, we see the exodus. So the Egyptians wanted to send them out in haste. So the people took the dough before it was leavened, and they basically headed out. And what's interesting is in verse 38, like Andre said, it's not about what camp you're in. It's about your allegiance to God. Verse 38, a mixed multitude, which a lot of commentators think is an ethnic mixture. So God's purpose is already extending beyond Israel. Other people are coming if their allegiance is um, is to God. And so here we see this exodus in 41 and 42. So they, they spent 430 years there and God brings them out. So we have seen this promise up to now. And now God has fulfilled it. Now, we still have promises to come, like with the promised land and more. But we do see a promise fulfilled, God taking his people out of Egypt. And do you have anything else on, on chapter 12, or are you ready to go nope. to chapter 13? Nope. Let's do it. Let's let's do it. Um, yeah, and then, okay, so moving into, into uh, uh, chapter 13... Uh, you know, we see again that, you know, the Lord uh, instructs Moses to tell the people that, you know, they are to remember, 
you know, what the Lord has done for them. And, um, you know, in order to, uh, to observe this, you know, we see, we see more of the, the feast of the unleavened bread. Um, and, you know, what I thought was um, really interesting is we begin to, to see this discussion of, of, you know, especially in, in verse 11, we see, we begin to see, uh, you know, that the Lord is going to take them uh, to land of the Canaanites, you know, which had, which he had, you know, promised to their, um, to their fathers. And, you know, this is kind of this big idea that, um, like, you know, they've all kind of been waiting for to have their own land, to not be enslaved. You know, now the Lord is taking them out of Egypt. Um, and, you know, you know, through this exodus, we're, we're going, we're going to see that there's some twists and turns, but, uh, the first interesting thing to me was, um, you know, when the Lord first takes them out, he's like, I'm not going to take them, uh, you know, via this one route because they might just get scared and turn back around. But instead, I'm going to take them this other route so they don't get scared. And it kind of just begins to to show us um, all the twists and turns uh, that, you know, we're going to call um, uh, for all the, the mess ups that, that, they, that they end up making during this journey. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Andre's been talking about, remember, verse 3 of chapter 13, Moses said to the people, remember this day. And it's interesting how we're, I said this with the Lord's Supper, but we're a people of remembrance. And Second Peter, Peter writes that he, uh, as long as he is in his flesh, as long as he's in his body, he wants to stir up the people of God by... Uh, by way of reminder. And so that's just an exhortation to us today. And so they set out, and it's the month of Abib, or Abib, which is Nisan, which I believe we talked about the months in Nehemiah as well. But this is their new first month. This is like a recreation. They have like a new a new calendar. So uh, this is their thing. And then this is the thing that I'll find interesting. Uh, I have a couple things before we definitely get to the end of the chapter, but I'll just say this and pass it back off to Andre because I don't know how long this is going to take. In verse 9, uh, it shall be to you as a sign on your hand. So what what God did to for his people. It shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Then verse 16, it shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes for by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So Andre, thinking of what we've spent time in recently, what does a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes sound like? Uh, the mark of the beast. Exactly. And so, uh, as my pastor says, the mark of the beast in Revelation is like internal character made manifest in behavior. And so it's depicting allegiance to the way of the beast or to Jesus. And so God is marking his people. The seal of God in Revelation is also about allegiance and the people of God being sealed. So God is trying to give us a picture as early as the book of Exodus, even back into Genesis in different ways, of how God's people are marked apart from the world and how the law of the Lord is on their heart. And as Psalm 1 says, they meditate on it day and night. So God's law, God's ways are to define who we are. And that's true right now and it will be for eternity. So, Andre, what's this pillars of cloud and fire? So they, they're coming out of here, and now there's this cloud, and now there's this fire. So what's all that about? Yeah, actually, one uh, you know, quick point uh, before that. Yeah, go for that. it. Yeah, but just um, looking to, to verses um, 18 and 19, as you know, we see the Lord is guiding them out. We're going to go through the Red Sea, and then we see that Moses takes the bones of Joseph with, with him. Yeah. Which it's kind of interesting. I just wanted to quickly point this out because, you know, thinking back to chapter 1, you know, we kind of started with uh, Joseph's death, 
and you know how now uh, the people who were you know growing strong and we were we were seeing kind of the the start of you know what seemed like the fulfillment of these promises you know there's they're growing in numbers they're being prosperous and all that and then Joseph dies and then there's a new Pharaoh who doesn't really like know the relationship. Uh, that Joseph had with the previous one. And then now we see this really interesting uh, quote in chapter 19 uh, towards the end that, you know, Joseph has said, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones uh, with you from here. So we're kind of honoring Joseph taking his, uh, you know, his remains out of Egypt, um, but also shows, um, you know, the faith which uh, Joseph had of, you know, this deliverance that was to come. But then, yeah, getting into the, the pillars, um, you know, we see that now that, you know, the Lord has taken them out of Egypt. He's going to continue to guide them um, uh, via a pillar of fire um, during the night and then, you know, a pillar of cloud during the day so they can see and, you know, observe not only which way to go, but also that the Lord is with them. They might get comfort from that. Um, They can continue to remember um, who is the one who is leading them, who's guiding them, who, um, delivered them out of out of Egypt and out of slavery, um, and that's kind of you know where the chapter ends. Um, kind of with that, seeing that the Lord is going to continue to guide them and um, and be with them. He's not going to abandon them. Man, that's so good. And now think about how it all began. There was that young boy named Moses. He grew up as a shepherd. Then he was at the, the he was out Mount Horeb, and then God appeared to him in a burning bush. Fire started the story. Now we are at the end of the Exodus, so they've act, they're coming out of Egypt, and fire marks this new life, and it marks the conclusion of their time in Egypt. So fire is kind of this marker, and it's going to be a marker throughout the rest of the book because when we close the book, the last few chapters this fear this fiery presence of god is going to be is going to be present so god's presence is with his people man i'm so glad that that is true today as well so next week andre if you don't have any other points uh, next week we'll be talking about chapter 14 and then the majority of chapter 15 but not the entire thing as we'll see why so we're going to see them get through the red sea and then we're going to see an excellent song uh hopefully i can talk andre into singing it out loud for us Will not be singing out loud for you guys, unfortunately, but hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Michael kind of went straight into that, uh, looking forward to next week and saying in case if I had a point, but didn't actually stop in case we did. Luckily, I don't, <laughs> but hope you guys enjoyed this episode on Exodus chapters 11 through 13 and see you guys back next week.